Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah 58, you can find it on page 852 in your pew Bible. Isaiah 58. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Cry aloud, spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your labors. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike With the fist of wickedness, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness? To undo the heavy burdens? To let the oppressed go free? And that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? And that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him? And not hide yourself from your own flesh? Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer and you shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the spreading wickedness and the speaking wickedness, If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness, and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, And shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, not speaking your own words. Then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, 
and I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. I'd like to also confess what the Heidelberg Catechism, what we confess regarding the fourth commandment. The fourth commandment itself is, and I'd like to read that from Deuteronomy 5 a moment, um, is to observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your ox nor your donkey nor any of your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What does God then require in the fourth commandment? Answer, first that the ministry of the gospel in the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the, the church of God to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord, and contribute to the relief of the poor as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works and yield myself to the Lord, to work by his Holy Spirit in me, and thus begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. As far as confession regarding the fourth commandment. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14, sets before us these words. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. Is there anything better than that? then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. As we began our exposition of the law, especially in introducing it, Exodus 20, how God has come to covenant with his people and to show them what he has done in redeeming them out of Egypt and bringing them to the promised land and saying, here I am the Lord your God and I'm going to make you a peculiar treasure. You are going to be my special people. I want such a close relationship with you. I'm going to marry you. You're going to be my son. He's got a very personal relationship with his people. And he says, here are my love rules. And if you keep my holy day honorable and delight in it 
then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. There was a young man, Eli Herring. He was the offensive lineman for BYU. And he, um, he was a great football player. Everyone expected him to go the first round of the NFL draft. But as the time approached, he said, I, I don't really want to enter the draft. And the media said, what, are you crazy? You're going to go in the first round? Why wouldn't you enter the draft? And he said, because the games in the NFL are on Sunday. And I don't want to play on Sunday. Eli Herring's father, David, explained, our great-grandfathers called it a holy Sabbath. Our grandfathers called it the Sabbath. Our fathers called it Sunday. And now we call it the weekend. Have we lost the reverence and respect and honor that the Sabbath requires? And have we lost a sense of its delightfulness as a great gift from God? Well, certainly, if we look at this past week, we recognize that indeed we have. Last Sunday was Super Bowl Sunday in the NFL. And being American, of course, that brings back lots and lots of memories. However, it was very interesting to take note of a morning show of a person who commented on how many people would not be at work the day after the Super Bowl. They would miss work on Monday. And the comment was made that the Super Bowl should maybe be played on Saturday so that they have time to recuperate on Sunday in order to go back to work on Monday. You see the irony there, don't you? Approximately a century of trying to get God out of Sabbath and Sunday, they've succeeded. And now that God is out of Sunday, we need another day of rest. After such a day as Super Bowl Sunday. And it's all because we lost a delight in the Lord. We need to remind ourselves that God has given us good gifts in his creation. He has given us in his creation the gift of work. And he says, six days you shall labor and do all your work. And he's given us the gift of Sabbath and on the seventh day rest. He's given us the gift of marriage, of relationship, as He creates us in His image. And all 
of these wonderful gifts of God in his creation are all under attack. And once we can get rid of God out of them all, get God out of work, get God out of Sabbath, get God out of marriage, then we will have a society that we can control. But God says, you shall labor six days and one day rest and take delight in me. And for a Christian, we do well to consider the fourth commandment and to consider a passage such as Isaiah 58 where two words just really pop right out of the blessing that is found here in Isaiah 58. In order to receive the blessing of delighting in the Lord and prospering spiritually in the Lord, there's two words that come out. The first day, the first word is honorable. And the second is delightful. The holy of day of the Lord is honorable and delightful. That's what the theme is that I'd like to look at this with. God's holy day is honorable. As we recognize that God's holy day has been instituted also in creation, in Genesis chapter 2, we find that the Sabbath uh, was granted that even as God rested from his labors, so man had the ability to rest from his normal labors and to, de- to enjoy this delightful relationship with his creator. Obviously, in paradise, when sin corrupted this world and fallen Adam, so also the Sabbath keeping was corrupted. And this good gift of God was turned into what we could call something that is burdensome. And even as we find Jesus ministering in Mark chapter 2, we are reminded that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was never to be burdensome for anybody. As a matter of the fact, Sabbath was given to be delightful and honorable. It was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. God didn't create the Sabbath and then create man in order to keep the Sabbath. No, he created man and gave man Sabbath. And so therefore, it ought to be honored as something that is good for man. And in order to truly honor the Sabbath, we need to understand, first of all, what it means. Sabbath means that we are to rest. That's what Sabbath means, rest. One word encapsulates it all, rest. But what does that rest look like and what does that rest mean? Yes, to rest from our daily labors, our six days of labor, our secular labors. Rest from making ends meet, providing for our families. It's to rest from our daily labors. You think about what it means to take a a time of rest. 
it contains the whole idea of honor, doesn't it? If someone's worked diligently for six days, it is honorable for them to receive a day off, a day of rest. I think of that even in a way of what we would call sabbaticals. Someone who's maybe uh, worked, especially in a more spiritual job, maybe as elders, deacons, pastors, professors, school teachers, and, and, and whatever. And especially in these kinds of labors where it's good to be able to refresh and to be able to uh, study and, and, and make yourself even more productive for uh, the more intense seasons of ministry or teaching. There's what's called sabbaticals. And these are times of honorary rest in order to be more productive in the future. I think of what we call uh, emeritus or retirement for pastors, those who are now growing older and have served faithfully. And emeritus status is, is a type of honor. Honor for those who have served well in order to rest from their labors and continue that productivity. It doesn't mean sitting back and twiddling your thumbs. It doesn't mean idleness in any way. It simply means rest from those particular labors. And to rest in God, and to rest in Christ, worshiping Him, resting in His finished work. And that takes a really a sense of daily activity. I noticed um, in the bulletin, you can read it for yourself, but how we are to delight in the Sabbath as, as one of the best days of the week. And in order to honor, honor the Sabbath, we need to recognize its great privilege and our responsibility to worship with the people of God. In order to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to exhort one another. In, in order to disciple one another. But we also ought to think of all of the activities of the day that God gives us. That we think of ways in which we can grow in grace with one another. Grow also in ways of service in God's kingdom. Caring for those who are needy. Not own enjoyments, but also edifying the church and extending the kingdom of God as we refresh our souls and our bodies. This is God's gift of Sabbath. And when we honor it in such a way, then we will hold it in high regard. Actually, in the quote that I put in the bulletin, Donald Whitney said, Imagine living to the age of 70 and spending every Lord's Day in the ways that he suggested. You'd experience 10 years of your life worshiping the Lord with his people, reading great literature, playing with your children and grandchildren, taking walks, enjoying fellowship, taking naps. Doesn't this sound like a joy? Or does it sound like a burden? This should be honored. These are things that people might dream about enjoying. It should be honored. It's God's holy day set apart to serve Him and one another. 
in gospel ministry. And in order to honor it, we not only need to define it, but we also need to recognize the culture around us and what they and how they regard the Sabbath. Do you realize that in 1902, the first organized baseball game was played on Sunday? Not much over a century ago, the view of Sabbath was far different. It was 1933 that in the United States, the House and Senate of Pennsylvania finally passed a bill allowing um, local jurisdictions to vote whether to play Sunday sports in their areas. Even later than that, trucking non and selling non-essentials became permitted. In less than a century, things have radically changed. I grew up in northwest Iowa. I'm not saying northwest Iowa is a perfect place by any means. But I have to say, in northwest Iowa, in the particular community I grew up in, the towns were shut down. There was a couple of C stores that would remain open for emergencies, pharmacy. Um, later on, the Walmart was allowed to be open for four hours or so in the afternoon. That was all that was open in town. Still today. The combines and the fields were shut down. The trucks were off the road because there was no grain elevators to take the grain on Sunday. If you were mowing your grass on Sunday, you were the talk of town when I was growing up. Obviously, some of that's changing to some degree. Why has things changed? Why have things changed? Well, we could point to all of the challenging and differing views on Sabbath keeping. We could point that, well, from the Seventh-day Adventists to Reformed Legalists to Lutheranism to Baptistic ideas of Sabbath keeping, all the different views just complicate the matter and, and people throw up their hands and say, well, who really cares? It doesn't matter. We can't go back now. It will never, it will never work. And to some degree, maybe they're right. But to some degree, we need to recognize and point out that these indeed are wrong views of the Sabbath. There are many wrong views of the Sabbath. I think of the Seventh-day Adventists the first place, it was a wonderful privilege to serve in Lacombe, Alberta for a period of time, but they had a big Seventh-day Adventist college in town. And, of course, uh, from time to time you'd have engagement with various people from there. And one time I bought a car from someone, and, and uh, he found out I was a Reformed pastor. And that meant I was the Antichrist. 
because I followed the Pope in determining what day we should worship on, and we changed the day to Sunday. I believe he was misguided, and I could talk to him about that, but I wasn't getting anywhere in talking to him about that. But what I did realize is we actually had the same view on Sabbath. We just had a different day. I can, in my mind, completely justify why indeed we worship on the first day. As Christ was raised from the dead on the first day, he made appearances to his disciples on the first day. He poured out his Holy Spirit on the first day. The apostles were gathering on the Lord's day. John was in worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday. Justin Martyr himself wrote already in 145 A.D., long before there was ever any popes, that Sunday is the day in which we all hold our assembly in connection with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But of course, this gentleman who was Seventh-day Adventist said, yeah, that, that information all comes from the Antichrist. But then you have Seventh-day Adventists, and then you have Lutherans who have a very loose view of Sabbath-keeping. Or you have, on the other extreme, Reformed legalists who, who make all kinds of extra laws like the Pharisees even did on Sabbath. And then you have certain Baptist backgrounds who would say that, no, Sabbath-keeping is part of the ceremonial law, and that's all fulfilled in Jesus. And so based on their hermeneutics that they need also to argue for baptism, they say, no, 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 we don't need to worry about Sunday and what we do on Sunday. That's all Old Testament language. So how do we view the Sabbath? Well, I believe when we look at Isaiah here, in Isaiah 58, what we realize is we need to get to the heart of the matter. This whole chapter is about Israel being called into account before God because of where their heart was. And that's why he's called to cry loud and spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. You're seeking me, but you're not delighting in me. You're fasting, but your fasting is, is not delightful to you nor to me, says the Lord. And your worship is not delightful to you or to me. But if you want to experience true blessing, says the Lord, then you must worship me with your whole heart. With all of your mind, all of your body, all of your soul, everything, you must give it all to me, surrender all to me. And that's why in verse 13 he says, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your own pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord. And so he's saying it's all about your heart. 
It's sanctifying your heart. It's, it's calling this day a holy day. A day that's set apart for God. That's what holy means. To set it apart. And what Isaiah is saying is very similar to James chapter 1 and 2 where we're called not only to be hearers of the Word, but also doers of the Word. And that faith in our hearts and in our lives, it works out our salvation. And as we talk about this being a holy day, a day that's honorable, a day that honors our most important relationship, and that is our relationship with God, that we call it a delight and we call it honorable. It's really as simple as this. You have a dating relationship. This young woman, she has become your everything. You want to get married even. You love her so much. but you really don't want to spend any time with her. And you really don't want to go on dates with her. It's so boring. It's so inconvenient. It takes up so much time and so much money. You say, Pastor, whatever. There's no relationship like that. If he really loves her, he wants to spend time with her. He wants to devote that time to her. It doesn't matter if it costs a little money to go on this date. If he has it, he'll give it all to her. He cherishes this woman. He delights in her. It's the Lord's day honorable to you. This young man who's treating his girlfriend with this kind of honor and respect and delight, she's going to know she's respected and treasured and honored. Does the Lord know that he's respected and treasured and honored by the way you conduct yourself on his day? You know, in this marriage relationship, or even pre-marriage relationship, it often takes sacrifice, doesn't it? Sometimes I'm going to do things that I normally wouldn't do because I love this woman so much. Even though I don't really, really want to go shopping, I'm going to go shopping with her because I want to spend time with her. And even though I'd really like to check what email just came in or what's going on here or there on my phone, I heard it vibrate. I felt it in my pocket. I'm going to leave it in my pocket because I want to give her 100% of my attention because I delight in her. Is that how we honor God on the Lord's Day? And remember, these first four commandments are all about our relationship with God. 
Does God feel honored in how we spend his holy day? Do we make those sacrifices? Say, no, I don't want to or find my own pleasures. I don't want to walk in my own ways. I, I, I don't want to speak my own words. I want to hear the words of God. And I want to serve him. Because when I get to serve him and honor him, then the pleasure is mutual. And no longer do the questions come up, may I do this on Sunday? Or may I do that on Sunday? Or what's wrong with doing this or that on Sunday? Those kind of questions really, I don't think, should even come up. They all come from the wrong angle. I hear questions like that all the time. Really, what's wrong with going out to eat on Sunday rather than cooking a meal yourself? After all, Pastor, don't you realize that the overall labor for a couple people who could serve a hundred people is less than all these hundred people preparing a meal for themselves. So it requires less labor on Sunday to go out to eat. You're asking the question from the wrong perspective. If you ask the question this way instead and say, do I really want to go out to eat on Sunday and take away the liberty of others to be able to practice Sabbath keeping? That's a whole different question, isn't it? Or what about the question, what's wrong with baling hay on Sunday? It's going to rain after all tonight and the hay will be destroyed. I won't have anything to feed the cows and therefore I won't have anything to feed the people. Of course, God wants the people fed. But again, you're asking it from the wrong perspective. If you ask it from the perspective of faith and say, God has given me six days to labor and one day to enjoy Him and a relationship with Him, then I can trust God will provide. That is all I need. I'll bail my hay on Monday. And what a powerful witness that will be to the world. Or what about this one? Someone says, um, obviously you don't care about work on of necessity, right, Pastor? And so what I'm doing is a work of necessity. So there shouldn't be anything wrong with it, right? Well, if you read Isaiah 58, what you need to recognize is it's all about the heart. So someone could say, well, it's about a work of necessity, but every time I get overtime on Sunday, I'm going to take as many shifts on Sunday as what I can. As a matter of fact, I really don't like to go to church all that much anyway, so I'm going to make sure I take as many shifts as I can on Sunday. I can serve God by working in a job of necessity. You see, it's all about the heart. I'm not going to answer those questions for you. I'm going to ask you to ask your heart those questions. Do I honor and delight in God on the Sabbath?
do I look at this day as the most honorable day of the week? It's my holy day. God deserves such honor. His day deserves such honor. A seminary professor who went to his kid's bedroom every Sunday morning and would bang on their door and say, Get up! It's the best day of the week! It's a market day for souls. It's a day to feast in Christ and on Christ. It's a delight in his day, a holy day. Is that your view of the Sabbath? Let alone reading about the statistics of how good it is for you physically. Let me just share a few with you. CDC studies show that there are many health benefits. They lower levels of stress, reduce inflammation and risk of heart disease, boost your immune system, restores mental and physical energy, and makes you more creative and productive at work just by taking a day and shifting gears. God has so wonderfully created us with the chief end to glorify Him and to enjoy Him as our Creator all the days of our life. And even after the fall, has given it to us so that we can remember His his work of atonement and His glorious resurrection and to prepare us for the eternal Sabbath that awaits all of His people. He delights in us as his creatures and as his people to give us a delightful day to worship him. If we do this, then we will delight in the Lord. As I pointed out in the beginning, there is nothing more precious than that. Because if we really are getting married to the Lord and to Jesus, that's what the scriptures teach us. We are being united to him and by faith in marriage as it were. I really hope you delight in your spouse here below then we also ought to delight in the Lord. And we can know his promise as we delight in him and delight in his cause. Read with me verse 14. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth. What is that saying? It's not just saying that we'll all have great gain and great prosperity. 
But we will ride with Him in a relationship with Him. And when God and His kingdom prospers, and when His gospel goes forth, conquering and to conquer, when revivals are set forth in this world, then we are reminded that we ride with Him on the high hills of the earth in His prosperity. Isn't that really what Sabbath-keeping is all about? As a matter of fact, when we confess that in the Lord's Day 38, what do we confess? What does God require in the first commandment? First, that the ministry of the Gospels and the schools are maintained. Where in the world does it get that? It gets that right here. Because it's the Gospel message. That is the power of God to salvation. And when ministers of the gospel are being prepared to go forth riding to deliver that message to the ends of the world, then God is taking His people with Him in a joy in the prosperity of the gospel itself. That's why we give of our gifts to the poor and to the needy to promote His cause in this world. And we delight in his nourishment. Notice how he says that. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. You will delight in his nourishment. You will delight in his covenant faithfulness. You will delight in his covenant word. You will delight in his covenant promises. You will delight in Jesus Christ, the word made flesh. You will delight in God. I don't know what lies in all of our hearts. And I'm not going to, on a Sunday afternoon when the attendance is a little lower anyway, to point out that that it's concerning. But it is. It's not because I'm a legalist. It's because I know how it's gone in so many churches. People become oncers, and their children become nuncers because they don't see the Lord's Day being honored by their parents. And they don't see their parents delighting in the holy day. And they don't see their parents delighting in the Lord. It's concerning. Because if the Lord isn't our delight, then our religion is empty. And we don't have a relationship with God. But the Lord, He comes to us in His law. And He says, I have taken you out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, and I'm bringing you to myself because you are my delight. I just ask you, don't have any other gods in my face. 
and worship me rightly and treasure my name and honor my day. And we will have a delightful relationship together. You see how God's law in a certain sense is his gospel. Because he's not only preparing a day for us to rest from our daily labors, but through the fourth commandment we see his ultimate picture of having a day. No, not a day. A year. Oh, not a year. Two years. A year of jubilee with it. No, not two years. But an eternity of rest and enjoyment with God. Is he your delight? Amen.